0: The Miles Podcast is your host Stephen Miller. Today's guest is Dr. Lowell Ku from Dallas IVF. He is a board certified in reproductive endocrinology and in obstetrics and gynecology and sometimes goes by the name Dr. Knocked Up. So not only does he have a medical degree to back up his knowledge, but he also has his own experience with infertility so I'm very appreciative of Dr. Koo willing to come and talk about his experience with infertility so welcome Dr. Koo.
1: Thank you so much. It's a, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be here and and so excited to be part of the the podcast. So thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're my first doctor to come on and be a guest. Excellent. So I'm really appreciative of that. Oh, so yeah. first questions I always ask for every guest is how did you learn about infertility in general and not necessarily through your own diagnosis, but in general, like how did you learn about it?
1: You know, you know, the first time that I actually was introduced to it was when I was actually a family medicine intern. Cause I started out as a family medicine resident and my thought was I was going to be a family doctor, go to a small town, be a do it all doctor. And, mm-hmm. um, and when I was in my uh, OBGYN rotation as a as an intern in family medicine, that's when I got introduced to the the infertility specialty. And, okay. um, and so it was very interesting because I, I originally was going to go to the small town, but then I changed my mind and I jumped into an OBGYN residency. And uh, because I really loved delivering the baby, I wanted to be the first one and really hold the baby and be able to pass it on to the family. It was just so exciting. And then I realized when I did my infertility rotation as an OBGYN resident that I really liked helping families grow their families. So yeah. so I felt that that was going to be my passion in life. And it sure has become that and uh, decided to enter to an infertility fellowship. And here I am in practice in Dallas.
0: Awesome. So do you feel like that's pretty common practice for like the medical field, I mean, to be, cause it sounds like you were exposed to it, like in some of your intern training and stuff and being exposed to different areas, if you like, is that pretty common to be like exposed to that,
1: this field? Absolutely. During residency, absolutely, it's, it's, it's common to be exposed to that, especially during the OBGYN residency or OBGYN rotation, um, because it's an integral part of obstetrics and gynecology as a specialty. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's common to be exposed to that. Now, would it be common to be exposed to that outside of the medical field? You know, that's a little bit tougher to say. The only couples who have experienced infertility are the only ones who really know really a lot about it. Others who don't experience it they don't really they're not exposed to it so so uh outside of the medical field would be tougher to to kind of know about the world of infertility
0: yeah absolutely i just think about even nurses too i mean and i don't know what the degree they're what their education is like and so i'm always intrigued by that though because i mean that's been a huge push for me is at least in the mental health field right like this is not talked about you know like this is not something we're talking about in classes you know like it may be mentioned in a textbook here and there but but the reality is like there's so many people that are affected by it we should be talking about this you know like it's a huge part of the holistic medical care you know like you think about the medical piece but then you know there's that psychology piece that interplays with that as well
1: absolutely so
0: how did your experience come into into play
1: so, um, after I was an OB joint residence uh, and I'd you know, gotten accepted into the fertility fellowship, my wife and I at the time we thought we'd start trying to conceive, and it just unfortunately didn't work for us naturally. We tried and tried and struggled with infertility, and um, I'd already been accepted to the fellowship. And so I started my fellowship in Louisville, Kentucky, and we just had no luck. We had to really try. Uh, with treatments, so we tried um, Clomid and, and and regular intercourse, and then we tried Clomid and inseminations, and that didn't work. And then we had to resort to IVF, and uh, we did unfortunately five rounds of IVF to get our two kids. And so we did one round of IVF uh, while as a fellow, you know, I didn't have any money. I was like a poor student. I mean, I had to like you know put every, scrape up the funds to be able to do one round of IVF, and it was negative. It didn't work. So then we we tried again, did IVF a second time. We got pregnant, but then we miscarried, and that was absolutely devastating uh, for us. Then we thought, okay, let's try one more time. So we tried a third time, and unfortunately, it was negative. It didn't work. So then we moved down to Dallas. And we were absolutely depressed, distraught, frustrated, and just bewildered as to why is it not working? And, you know, we started thinking, like, well, is this – is this us childless life, which is fine, not a problem. But we, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't sure if that's what we wanted. So, so we tried IVF again here at our practice in Dallas. IVF got pregnant with my first kiddo, and then did IVF again and got pregnant with my daughter. So, so um, yeah, that's kind of our story, and and it it it's a scary story, but in the end, I always tell patients if if we can have success, you can too. Yeah.
0: Well, what was that like, though, being a fell in infertility while going through it.
1: Right. It was a little bit embarrassing, actually, because, uh, you know, here I am as the fertility doctor trying to help others get pregnant and and was fortunate to be able to help many couples conceive. But then embarrassingly enough, I couldn't even get my own wife pregnant. So it was a, a bit embarrassing. Um, and of course, knowing what I knew through all the training about infertility It was, it was, it was difficult because, um, you know, I knew the stats, I knew the processes, I knew the chances and I knew all the pro the, the, the treatments that were necessary. But one thing that was hard was, you know, fertility, the, the field of fertility is a very young field. And so we know a lot about infertility, but we don't know everything. So when IVF doesn't work, even though everything was done perfectly right, all the shots, all the medications, all the retrieval everything was done right. And it still doesn't work. We were absolutely bewildered as to like, why, what's not working? Why isn't it working for the embryo in? It looked perfect. Why didn't it stick? And so it was very, very frustrating for even me, even though I had all that knowledge and background in infertility, but it was even more frustrating for my wife. My wife's an OBGYN. So she, at least okay. she has some medical background, but she didn't really have that sort of uh, background for the fertility Cause uh, you know, she was just doing general obstetrics and gynecology. Mm-hmm. So it was frustrating to her. She didn't understand why is it not sticking? It doesn't make sense. So, and unfortunately, unfortunately we don't have all the answers. So we don't really know sometimes why it won't stick. So that was frustrating. There's this idea, especially if there's no knowledge of infertility,
0: that IVF is a hundred percent guaranteed, right? I, like there's this idea That, oh, we're going to do it once and it's going to be good. And how much do you think that plays into people's emotions and their expectations of what's supposed to be?
1: Yeah, you know, it it is tough. Uh, I I try to counsel my patients just like I counsel my own wife. You know, when we started doing IVF, she thought, oh, okay, well, we're we're guaranteed the baby, right? Like I said, no, no, we're not. I'm like, honey, we're not guaranteed the baby. But what we are guaranteed is that there's going to be an increased chance of success. And so I tell patients that, I don't know if I can promise you the baby, but I can promise you we're going to work really hard together as a team and we're going to increase your chances to the highest possible in America um, for success. And so uh, at our facility, it's 60, 70, up to 80% chance of success. So, so I tell patients, you know, we're going to increase it as high as we can so that we give you the best chances possible in modern medicine to give you that baby.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. You talk about embarrassment, like the embarrassment, right, of coming into, you know, like being in a fertility clinic and stuff, and you're struggling with your own stuff. How does like, how did your mental health get impacted by, like, on um, not necessarily like on a, like a patient to doctor level, but like your own like personal level, like between like you and like in your own internal dialogue, but as well as like maybe like your your interactions and stuff with your wife.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of uh, difficulties, um, you know, first of all, I was like, well, geez, why, why isn't it working? And and you feel like something's wrong with it. You know, you feel like something's wrong with you know, your, your your sperm or your ability to conceive. It's just something must be wrong. And then when you do the test and you find out, well, everything's there, everything's right. All, everything's okay. Then you're like wondering, like, well, why isn't it working? So that it's just really all this sort of very much question mark bewilderment depression and then frustration sets in after a while it's just not working then the wife is crying and so she's upset so you know as the husband it it was hard for me to be able to sometimes show my emotions uh, to my wife because I wanted to be strong for her. I wanted to help support her, pick her up when she was feeling down. And so, but I do tell patients that, you know what, don't bottle it in. Definitely share how you're feeling with your wife. And you might actually be, you know, grow a stronger bond together because you're opening up to your wife about it rather than kind of being silent like, like I was, which I think wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, I really should have opened up to my wife and told her that, you know, I'm suffering and hurting as well. And together we'll get through this, you know? Um, But I think that was one of the hardest things for me as a husband um, was that it was hard for me to be able to support the wife, but yet also feel vulnerable and feel like I am, you know, and recognizing my own pain as well.
0: Yeah. And that's a really hard dance. Right. I mean, it's like that push and pull, right? I mean, like we all yeah. deserve to have that support and, you know, and it's hard for for men, you know, to be vulnerable because you think, you know, like, okay, they're already stressed out. They're already distressed. They're so like, why am I going to put more stress right. you know, right. on there? And it's, it's hard, you know, like, because like, like you think that you're doing them a favor, but reality, what sometimes happens right. is you not talking about it, then there's that assumption that I don't care about having a family right. as much as my wife. And like that was not even remotely close to being true, but exactly. when we don't say anything, <laughs> it's Lots right. to interpretation, you know?
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I tell my patients look, open up to each other. I know it's hard and it's not easy, but you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a stronger bond for that.
0: Yeah. Or open to somebody else. I mean, like your yeah. wife can only do so much. Right. I mean, right. like. Right. I mean, I think about family, right? And I think we'll get into that too. But my relationship with my dad is different than my wife.
1: Sure, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. You know,
0: so it's like you you get things from different people. And I actually got that from Allie Weinstein, um, who's a licensed social worker in Vegas and stuff. He does great work. But yeah, I think it's just finding your support team. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, brilliant finding the people that you can really talk about this with.
1: You're absolutely right. Finding a good support network is so important. And, and back when my wife and I were trying, this was about 15 years ago now, you know, the Internet was still in its infancy and there wasn't a lot of – and social media was in its infancy, in fact, you know. And so um, there wasn't really a loud voice online to even talk about infertility. Uh, it was a bit of a taboo subject to talk about, you know. But But nowadays, thank goodness, there is a loud and proud voice online, on social media, talking about infertility sharing their stories so that we can support each other and that's that's so nice where we can support each other we may not even know each other but online we're family yeah. it's, it's really important to find that support
0: yeah. We- yeah definitely a huge community out there and I'm trying to get more men to talk about it yeah, <laughs> you know, so yeah. That in itself you know kind of instills this narrative that you know infertility is a woman's issue right I mean but more, since we're not talking about it that people are just left to assume that it's
1: not so right. It takes two, right, to make a baby, yeah. so it, it's a team sport, and so it's, yeah, both a male and female issue. In fact, studies do show that in in terms of when a couple comes in to see a fertility doctor, what are the odds that it's a female-only versus a male-only issue versus a both issue? Well, it turns out it's about 40% chance that it's only female, 40% chance it's only male, and 20% chance it's both, so mm-hmm. it can be both. yeah yeah, when
0: that was the case with my wife and I that we had we both had issues. Mm-hmm. So one thing on this podcast that i've I've been trying to do is have more diverse verse voices out there in infertility because there's more than one way to think about it. And historically, fertility's been sought as a like a white person's problem. you know, like or you know that's what media, we see fertility from like a white lens, right? And I'm just curious about from your ethnic background being Chinese, not that you're speaking for everyone, but what is the general consensus about like infertility in like Chinese culture? And I'm sure there's a variety within that, but if you could just speak on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, being a, um, a firstborn son of a firstborn son of a firstborn son, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of pressure on, 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 me at the time to be able to be the role model of the family you know i've got to go out and be uh to show the other siblings uh how to survive and, and be successful and, and all of those things so it was a lot of pressure and so in the asian community infertility for a long time was something taboo to talk about we didn't talk about it, it was shameful and we didn't want to bring shame to the family name bring this honor for example to the to the house to that to the family and so it was something that we didn't really talk about especially in the asian community so it's really important for asians especially to speak out and speak up online to support each other and and to provide that voice so that that we all can see that yeah this infertility is an equal opportunity offender it doesn't matter what race what creed, what gender It will, it will affect every single walk of life. So, um, so, so it's important that even in the Asian community that it's recognized that this is a real deal and that we support you. It's okay. It's not a problem. So it's, you know, the, yeah, it's something that's very important to talk about, especially in the Asian culture.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine along with that, the mental health piece, right? You know, like that's a huge thing, you know, from what I, like I said, I'm not an expert in this, but like from what I've read, you know, like that mental health is really stigmatized the view is is that the like asian americans are supposed to be the model minorities and when you type and you know put in mental health there you know it's really stigmatizing I and mean, them seeking care for it. so i can imagine that's even a double layer of you're already talking about infertility which is already stigmatized and then you add in mental health right right i mean
1: absolutely it's huge yeah it, there are a lot of cultural barriers for, for Asians, for especially to like, for example, to, to try to seek help because of that um, because it's deemed as something that is, is shameful or, and, and not accepted. And, and we shouldn't talk about those things, right? Like, so um, but we should talk about those. We should seek help. We should seek mental health if we need it. So it's very important. And I think that what's nice is that as the um, years pass, uh, with the stronger voices online and on social media, um, all cultures, all cultures, including the Asian culture, I think is feeling more comfortable with talking about it, with with divulging it to their family members or divulging it to each other. So I think that it's much more accepted now. Thank goodness, and, and yeah, as it should be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm all about reducing stigma because it really, I mean, especially when it's harmful. You know, like it's really harmful to keep all that stuff inside and stuff and try to not talk about it i mean like it is so emotionally taxing
1: it is you know it
0: is. it's ups it's... and downs you know like I, I remember at one point telling my wife i'm like we're professional hoop jumpers that's what it's that's what we are you know like exactly i just imagine right. jumping through fires or, like rings of fire and just you know you like know? it's but you're jumping, like you're trying to s- control something that you have no control of
1: that's right, you know? that's right. You know and, and and i tell patients you know we let's control for what we can control for we can control our diet we can tr- control our lifestyle we control for things that will maintain our good fertility mm-hmm. and then some things we just can't control for and it's hard as hard as it may be sometimes we just have to let it happen hopefully the way it's supposed to happen um it's hard man it's hard to let that happen because i don't know about you but i'm i like to control for everything because i want to make sure everything's perfect for my patients and for my yeah. life everything's perfect so but You know, and and, and that dries up the stress because there are some things I cannot control. And I think sometimes saying, okay, I recognize I cannot control for it, sometimes that might decrease the stress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to have things that are not fertility related in your life. Yeah. As well. You know, like, because you need that balance. You know, like, you know, and I've I've said this in previous episodes too, but like my wife and I decided we were going to do exchange students. You know, like, so we had, like, two from Germany, one from Norway, and then cool. one of the years, it was right before the pandemic, we had hosted a student for two weeks while his host parent was on vacation and stuff, but he was from China, and we kind of got the the lowdown on, on COVID, you know, because his province was right next to Wuhan,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: he was already hearing stuff and asking, why are you not wearing a mask, but... It was something, though, that, that we did because we knew that if we did not, you know, like if we solely if we had nothing else to do and we came home from work and we had all we would do was talk about fertility in this way, all three students, like all three of them saw at least part of the stage of IVF. So it was kind of like a front window for them to learn that, Hey, you know, pregnancy doesn't always happen easy for everyone. Right. But it also allowed them to travel with us. I mean, we ended up out of outside of St. Louis and you know, they did a trip around we the arch and stuff like that. But you know, like those were things that we were able to keep our minds occupied enough to keep us sane, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's well, really, the so many ups and downs because like you want to be hopeful, but then you're also on that on that back foot, right? You're just like, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to be hopeful, you know, because the last time I was hopeful, something devastating happened. You know, right. like, it's been like that for how many months after how many years? How? What were some things that you did to kind of manage some of that ups and, the ups and downs of IVF?
1: You know, it was hard. You know, it was, um, though I didn't open up as much as I should have to my wife. I think, you know, it's like talking with my mentor and, and, and my friends who also suffered with infertility. It's interesting, you know, you might be at a, at a, a meeting or even at a social event. And you, if you mention infertility, the strange and actually wonderful thing is that sometimes other people at these, at these events might have suffered infertility, unfortunately, and they may be like, be able to open up to you and you might be able to open up to them and, and bond over that and kind of connect and, 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 and be able to at least Understand that you know what you're not alone, and and, yeah. and it was very hard for us, uh, for my wife and we, we really kind of kept it into ourselves. We were very private about it. We didn't tell anybody, and 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 I tell patients, you know, you really should try to find that support network because bottling it up and keeping it alone and keeping private, it's just it's very stressful. It's very causes a lot of anxiety, and so yeah. finding out that you're not alone is 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 an important step to the next step, which is to be able to open up and and, and kind of to, to to talk about it, to discuss it.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I find or have found like through my experience is one, you know, the more and more I talk to people about in my full time job, mm-hmm. everybody knows somebody, right? Whether yeah. they personally've been yeah. affected, you know, like I've known yeah. somebody that's like, Oh yeah, we went through infertility and we had our kids later, or you know, like, oh yeah, we've had miscarriages and we've had you know somebody was a surrogate <laughs> you know like you think that's right. not common right. but it is yeah. you know like it's just like you find that they all come out of the woodwork you know it's like but right. it takes that conversation takes asking like hey this is what i'm working on you know like it's like oh yeah. i know so-and-so like so-and-so had struggles you know like yeah exactly right exactly so right you hit these little silos of people it's like why don't we just bring all this to together and we like have a conversation about it you know absolutely This one actually came from last week's episode and stuff. This is the first time I asked this. And now I feel like I want to ask this for every guest. What was something that you tried to control through IVF that you can look at,
1: look back at now, like, and laugh? Yeah. You know, one of the things is kind of what we touched upon is I was trying to control the leakage of any information about my wife and I suffering from infertility. We didn't want anybody to know, and we kept it really private. And so I think that looking back, I thought, you know, that's, we should have, we really should have shared at least to some of our confidants that, that, you know, so that we weren't alone. Because we felt alone. We felt like yeah. we were the only ones that had this. So it was, it was very tough. It made it harder for us. So that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing to, that was hard for us to control was our expectations. Um, we had such high expectations and, and, and everybody does as they enter into the treatment and that, Especially my wife, we thought it was like, oh, it's 100% guaranteed. We're gonna have a baby with IVF, right? So it's sort of tempering some of the expectations with understanding what the the actual statistics are, and what the odds are. I think that was the other thing that we had a hard time controlling for and that yeah. we probably should have done a better job for.
0: Well, actually, one of the reasons why we actually, so we ended up, we had three clinics. So we had like one in Mass, one in Milwaukee, and then we ended up in third, like the last one we were successful with, with um, in outside of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, I remember giving us a 15% chance, you know, like he just looked at our numbers and stuff like that. And it was no like bedside manner. I mean, he was very old school and to the books and just to the point and stuff. And for some people that's okay, but it's just, you know, it wasn't our style. Yeah. I just remember telling like my wife looked over, she's crying, just devastated. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. So I guess we'll find somewhere else to go, you know, like, and that, and that's really what what about you? Like, we ended up finding, you know, like a second opinion we end up somewhere else. You know, I think and it's completely okay. You know, not every client's going to meet everybody's needs.
1: Absolutely. So, and I tell patients, you know, you got to find a good fit. You know, that doctor may be amazing, but if it's not a good fit, then yeah, definitely consider uh, a second opinion. Consider finding another option. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So how much did your knowledge of IVF, how much of that, like your knowledge, interplay with your mental health, here you have all the medical knowledge that you need to be able to do it. Right. But then it's like, you have the knowledge, but then it's not working. You know, like how does that knowledge and, you know, especially that medical knowledge and expertise interplay with your mental health? You
1: know, I think it was a little bit more stressful because I kind of knew a little bit more, right. Because of the knowledge and the training and, and, and the background that I had medically. So uh, whereas sometimes ignorance could be bliss, but because I knew so much about it, it was harder. Because I was like, okay, all right, well, I know this is the next steps. I know this is the odds. Why well, the odds are not that great, and, and I knew that. Like when I was looking at an embryo, our embryo, my wife and I, you know, when we had our embryos formed, I looked at it. I was like, I knew that the grade wasn't very good, and you know, and I knew that they were trying to put a good spin. in, you yeah, know, it's not bad. It's not bad, you know. But I looked at it as like, yeah, it's not very good. So it it really really was tough to 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 be able to have all that knowledge, uh, and, 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 and use that with our own experience and, and, and apply it to our experience because it, it just, I knew too much. And so it was a little bit more stressful. You know, there was a, there is a study, um, that came out that showed that the stress that one develops when they are diagnosed with infertility is on the same level as the same stress as someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. Yep. It, it is extremely high. So it's, it's insane how high yeah. it is. It excellent
0: research. That was well, Allie Domar. Yeah, that's
1: right. Dr. Domar. Oh, right? She's great. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, Allie's great. She's done some phenomenal work in this field. Oh, so Amazing. Amazing
1: work. Love her. She's the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, I could imagine that being tough. And so... Did you find yourself that you would be up at night thinking scenarios, <laughs> you know, of like, you know, like, or like Googling
1: and not necessarily Googling, but. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just thinking, you know, thinking over and over again, what's not, you know, what's not working. My wife was even more laser focused. I mean, there would be nights when I would wake up and roll over and there she is in the middle of the night with her laptop on, you know, it's really dark in the room, but you see the glow of the laptop on her face and I'm like, like, honey, come on, it's stop, you know. It's time to stop reading. She always she would do is research and blog, read the blogs, read what other people did, and she was laser focused. And I see that in my patients too. Yeah. They are absolutely you know very savvy online, and they're looking and they're researching. That, and then they have these forums now where they all these people talk about like their own experiences, and and um and so it's you know I think uh, there is a, an important component to experience that to do that, but mm-hmm. I think that. I also kind of caution my patients say, Hey, look, you know, someone else's experience in treatment that worked for them may be different than what might work for you. So sort of like, you know, caution, I caution patients that Dr. Google is good, but there's not, you know, everybody's different and everybody's got a different recipe that they need. Right.
0: Yeah. And it really doesn't account for the case by case basis. Right. You know, and that's really, I mean, everybody's numbers are different and stuff. Everybody's different. You know, like you really have to, the advice of the physician, you know, like that you're working with to make sure like you're getting the best absolute, like you said, the biggest bang for your buck, the biggest percentage, right? I mean, that's exactly. where the goal
1: is. Exactly right.
0: So how, like when you were able to share like your struggles with your family mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about like the, like the older generation, like, like your parents, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: What was that like
1: you know, it was uh, it was hard because you know we don't share these things in the in our family. These are things that are less talked about, and uh, you know we actually didn't even tell my parents until my first one was born, my son, until my son was born, and my mom was holding my son and she looked at me. She goes, "Did you need any help? Did you do any treatment?" You know, and I was still sort of shy about sharing it with my family, you know, especially my mom and dad, who was very, you know, from the old school, and we don't talk about those things kind of thing. And, you know, I just kind of said, yeah, we got a little help. And that was it. Glossing over three years of a painful journey, five very painful IVs for my wife, and, you know, not to mention the mental anguish involved, too. Mm -hmm. It boiled down to, yeah, we had a little help, and that was it. So, Yeah. Um, I mean, they know now and I've told yeah. them now, but it was, it was still a hard cultural hurdle for me to jump over. Yeah,
0: I can imagine. And I, I mean, I see a gap there too, you know, like, because if you think about it, they were, that was the first cohort of people of ages, right? I mean, like, right when I was coming in, you know, 1978, 79, 80, at that point, you know, like they were graduating from school. You know, like my dad graduated in 71, I think is what he graduated. But you think about it, like they were that next generation and exposed IFF. And some of them never, I mean, have never heard of it. And so I asked my parents one day about it, like if they heard about IVF. And so they they saw stuff on the news, but there really wasn't. They were up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And there's no fertility clinics up there, <laughs> you know. So they're yeah. just like, Why well, talk about it? There's nothing there. But I think about the support for the parents. You know like the parents don't know how like they they can't make sense of it either you know and how do they support their child going through that you know especially one you know like for me my parents knew you know like my parents were ones that like you know if you want to talk about it we'll, we'll talk about it but we're not going to bring it up out of respect you know but right, right. but i have like some grandparents coming to me, like co-workers, you know, like, oh, my son's going through IPF, you know, how do I support him? And I'm like, there's not a lot of information on that either. Right. So you mentioned lifestyle, like in different things that you can do to kind of optimize male infertility or male fertility, that is. Um Yeah if you can just maybe talk about that a little bit. So it'd be great to have some information
1: to provide to some of the men that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no magic to it. I tell my patients, there's no magic recipe or secret sauce. It's very basic stuff that most guys are already doing, uh, to maintain good fertility. So, so I always say the four T's of, uh, of male infertility. So these are Dr. Q's four T's. So, Here they are. These are the four things that you need to avoid, and then we're gonna talk about two things we're gonna do. So the four things to avoid are, and they all start with the letter T, tobacco, the first one, so no smoking. Smoking has been shown to decrease sperm count and sperm quality. Number two is THC, or marijuana. Marijuana has also been shown to reduce sperm count, so you gotta avoid marijuana. Number three is testosterone. So guys who inject testosterone or who take testosterone that can actually stop sperm production in its tracks and make it a zero sperm count. So it, it's a little confusing, right? Cause some guys are like, well, if I'm low on testosterone, I need to take testosterone. That'll increase my sperm count, right? Actually it's the exact opposite. The testicles are sensing testosterone in the bloodstream. And if there's too much, the testosterone, the testicles, which make testosterone say, Oh, well, there's a lot of testosterone in the bloodstream we've made too much. Let's shut down our testosterone factories. Well, When they shut down the testosterone factories, they also shut down the sperm producing factories. So, if Mm -hmm. you inject testosterone, you'll stop production of sperm. So, that's the third T. So, the first T is tobacco, second T is THC or marijuana, third T, testosterone. Fourth and final T is tubs, like hot tubs, bathtubs. And what I mean by that is heat exposure to the testicles. Guys who take bathtubs or take baths every day and soak their testicles in really hot water essentially boiling your testicles we know that testicles need to remain one to two degrees cooler than the rest of the body in order to function properly so that's why they hang outside of the male body ovaries for example don't need to have that temperature issue so they can be inside the body so male testicles hang outside of the body because they need to be a little bit cooler so if you heat them up with hot tubs bathtub saunas then they malfunction and they don't produce a quality sperm and it decreases the ability for the testicle to package sperm together so now you have misshapen uh, sperm and that makes it harder to conceive so those are the four t's to avoid Uh, tobacco thc testosterone and hot tubs now two things to do are very simple number one multivitamin every day the sperm need vitamin c vitamin e zinc l-carnitine these are things that are found in a multivitamin. So if you take one every day, that should feed the sperm exactly what they need to maintain healthy sperm. And the second thing to do is a healthy lifestyle. So eat healthy, exercise if you want. These are things that will help maintain a good, good, healthy sperm quality. And those are that's it. Just the four things yep. to avoid and two things to do.
0: Yeah, and really super simple. Yeah, you know, and I and I've seen that. You know, I've seen that with testosterone where. In some cases, not all, but like that men get prescribed Clomid because like their numbers are maybe suboptimal and that in itself will help increase some, you know, like sperm production and that. So, but it's almost like, it's like a coolant or like a shot, like an emergency valve, right? If it's too much, then they're like, oh, emergency shut off.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. Now, some guys are already taking testosterone, and it's very hard for guys to come off of testosterone. They'll feel really weak, really fatigued, really lousy, just mental fog. So sometimes it's not physically possible to come off the testosterone uh, and and for the guy to maintain a normal, healthy lifestyle. So there are ways that are sperm-friendly that you can – there are some medications you can take that are sperm-friendly that will – Hopefully replace testosterone. Now it's never gonna be as good as testosterone, but it's better than going no testosterone. And one of the medications is called HCG. So HCG injections can take the place of testosterone, and that can at least be something that can boost the own production of testosterone and yet be sperm friendly and not shut off the sperm. uh,
0: I remember taking that shot.
1: Yeah. So those are (laughs) some shots. It was
0: an HCG shot and then some plumid and Yep, exactly right. did
1: not like Clomid personally. I mean, it's, Clomid has some side effects for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially hormone side effects. Well, not, not a fun experience, but sometimes you do it, (laughs) you know, like, you gotta do what you gotta do. But I mean, I would honestly say though, like one thing I should have done was I should have told the doctor about it, you know, because I had some pretty severe emotional effects from it. Like, But it was hard for me. Like you were saying, like you, you're trying to control something, right? In my mind, I was thinking, this is what's going to make or break it, right? you know like it's like if I have to just take it, and like I'll take it, and it's, I'll have to feel like this for just a short period of time. But if that means we're going to have a baby, I'll do it. Reality was is like it didn't make a humongous difference to my sperm count. Yeah, it, it, yeah. but in that moment, you're you're doing everything possible right. to try to achieve the goal and stuff. And that, I think that's the male brain trying to like, we're going to, you know, state the path and grind that's it right. out. And if, uh, I would say to all the men out there, like if you're having side, taking medication, your 10 side effects, please tell your doctor, don't yeah. try to tough it out. Absolutely. Right. You know, it's not worth it. And, and you may feel like that you're going to be the barrier again, you know, to come, but no reality is, is your health matters as well.
1: Absolutely. agree. Yeah.
0: So I have one last question for you
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's a question I ask every guest is what is something that you would want every man to know going through infertility, whether that's IVF or other means of family building?
1: Yeah, definitely. Number one thing is uh, open up to your wife. I think, you know, sharing your thoughts, sharing your, your, your worries and your frustrations with your wife, I think is very important and, and sharing that with her will ultimately, I think, bring you guys closer together. And uh, because uh, with infertility, there's this strain on the relationship. And so sometimes it's hard. And I think the number one thing that a guy can do is open up to your wife and and find that support system.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I will also shout out for MHPG through ASRM. So, I mean, they're a wonderful group of people, and I'm a part of that as well. But that's a good, you know, they have a good Directory, you know, where people can find you know people that are specialized because that's the hard thing too. Is you go to a regular counselor, they may or may not have yeah, that experience yeah. with infertility.
1: Right, right. You're absolutely right. And finding that resource sometimes can be hard. So I absolutely agree. The ASRM website has some great resources for for uh, mental health as well as medical health. too. yeah,
0: yep, great knowledge and stuff for people to look at. And as long as you don't do too much, all right? You got to have that balance. You can't be Absolutely. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Doctor Well, I really appreciate you coming on and being a guest and being our first guest doctor. So I'll give you that. Well,
1: for that. It, it's, <laughs> it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm happy to talk about it. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the miles podcast. Miles podcast is on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher and Overcast. If you could like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help other men or other couples find it, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for updates on future episodes and more content related to infertility and family building. I also just started a Facebook page for the podcast, so you can search for it on there. As always, if you would like to be a guest, please message me on my social media or email at milespodcast at gmail.com, and I hope that you will continue this Miles Long journey with me.